morning again. Uh, please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21. And uh, we'll be reading from verse 23 to uh, 32. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Matthew chapter 21, verse 23, the word of God says, When he entered the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask, one, uh, ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source, from heaven or from men? And they began reasoning among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why, uh, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the people, uh, for they all regarded John as a prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, We don't know. He also said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in the vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. The man came to the second son and said the same thing. And he answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which, for the, which of the two did the will of his father. They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that the tax collectors and the prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for this text, and uh, thank you that uh, Matthew wrote it down so that we could be instructed by it and learn. Father, we've come together to look at your word um, because we desire a change, a change that cannot happen through uh, will, our will. It cannot happen through uh, rhetoric, my rhetoric. It can't happen through any human force. It, it must be your spirit using your word, and I pray that uh, we will yield and we will obey and we will put it into practice. Father, we know it's your will that we become more like Christ and less like ourselves, and I pray that uh, today we will put these into practice, but not just for today, but for the rest of this week. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> this uh, last year, well, since the, the pandemic, uh, a lot of people have been questioning authority. Where does authority come from? Who has authority, etc.? Uh, governments, both local, state, federal, sought ways to keep America safe. But uh, some kind of complain that uh, America lacked the, uh, the power on the federal level to really execute a plan to keep everyone safe. And uh, what was argued was that some countries have a, a system by which 
the federal government is able to dictate to everybody else what to do. And uh, some individuals, when they were questioned and they talked about this, they, uh, they said um, uh, maybe the government is lacking this type of, um, this, this type of authority. For others, others thought that maybe the government already had too much authority and maybe they were overreaching at some points. Uh, there was a, a, a video that went viral that uh, there was these moms that took their kids to a park and they thought uh, the mayor didn't have the authority to close the park down and police showed up and they arrested some of the moms. and uh, They thought that there wasn't authority, but there was. Now the point is not to argue whether what was done is right or wrong. It's, the point is not to be looking at that, but rather that to bring to mind that this aspect of authority has been being questioned. When is too much authority? When is there a lack of authority? And, and as we look, contemplate the things that have happened this last year, it, it seems that authority seems to be very subjective. It, it's, authority seems to be very subjective. Uh, if the person gives, if the person in authority gives uh, certain policies that I agree with, then I say, oh yes, he has authority, and we should listen to that person. Well, uh, another person might give some other things, and I say, ah, oh, I don't like those policies at all. Uh, he doesn't have authority to say those things. So it, it seems in the last uh, 12, 14 months that uh, authority has been very subjective to personal preference. Authority seems to be related to power rather than principle. And I'll give you an example. Uh, certain individuals have gone out to protest for uh, certain social injustice. Others have gone out to protest for um, election results. There's a whole group of people. Uh, no one went and told them to go home. They're fine, you guys go ahead and protest. Um, but if an individual were to go and protest, uh, like uh, you know, some type of ordinance, just one person doing it, uh, they would get kicked out of a store or people would boo them and so forth. So it seemed that authority seemed to be related to power. If there was more power, it seemed like the people had more authority, whereas if it was just an individual, um, there, there is no authority there. Uh, so it's based on power rather than principle. And, and one thing that we saw is that authority seemed to vacillate a, a whole bunch. An individual would claim that they have the authority to love whomever they chose to love and to pick whatever gender they want to pick. Uh, but if somebody else decided to do something that uh, the person perceived might uh, be of public harm to everyone, uh, then that person no longer has authority. That, their authority gets taken away. They must subject themselves to other people. The point is, is that authority uh, doesn't seem to be based on any type of principles, but it just seems whatever is convenient at the time and whoever has the biggest guns, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What we see here is that they're going to question Jesus' authority. And in questioning Jesus' authority, it's going to bring the question to us is, uh, where do we find authority? Who do we obey? Who do we listen to? Now, Jesus has been doing some very bold things. He went into the temple and cleared it out. Uh, and then he, he set up shop. He's there teaching in the temple. Not only is he teaching, but he's healing people. The, the audacity, the audacity that Jesus has to act like, the temple was his house, like, like if it was just his, that he could just be healing people like he wanted to. It's kind of funny because it is his. 
And he could do what he wanted in there. But on a surface level, it seemed like uh, uh, Jesus has some disadvantages. So some things that maybe questioned his authority. Uh, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. And being from the tribe of Judah gave him a, a regal authority. But he's at the temple, and God had given the responsibility of the temple to the Levites. They could say, well, he's definitely not a Levite, and he's definitely not from the family of Aaron. How is he acting in this way? How is he teaching in this manner? Well, uh, it comes to show from Matthew, where he says that he is the Son of God. It gives him that authority. Also, in Hebrews, it, it makes an argument that he's not a, a high priest according to the order of Aaron, but according to Melchizedek. So he has the authority to go in there. The other thing that might be a disadvantage uh, on the surface is that he grew up in Nazareth. Uh, he was born in Bethlehem, but he's, he's there traveling with a bunch of hillbillies from Galilee. He's got his redneck buddies. You know, they got the shirt cut off down here. They probably have some fishing poles in their hands. Uh, I don't know. Uh, maybe that was too stereotypical. Uh, but there they are, and, and they've got accents, you know, uh, Galilean. I don't know what that sounds like, but you can imagine what that sounds like. Uh, and they're from Jerusalem, the, the priests and so forth, which is very educated, very very posh. And, and here's these people, and, and it seems on a surface level that he really has no authority. But all of this is because they lack paying attention to who Jesus really was. Now what we're going to look at today, and I'm going to put it right here at the beginning, Christians submit to Christ's authority when they repent of their way, and believe God's word. What in the world is repent of their way? Every one of us has a way of doing something, something that's natural to us, a way of interacting with our world that is natural to us. Uh, you want to see conflict, you get two people and they get married, a man and a wife, they get married, and each has their own way of doing something. Uh, one person wants things to be done immediately. The other person thinks, oh, this can wait. It can happen another time. We all have our own way of doing things. But a Christian who submits to God's authority must repent of their own way and must believe God's word. Now, when I say believe God's word, I'm not talking about uh, just some type of intellectual thing. Uh, believing in the sense that you're putting it into practice, that you're doing this. Now, what we're going to look at is three points through this text. And the first is a divine authority, divine authority, verses 23 through 27. Uh, we see in this verse that uh, when he entered the temple, there's the chief priest and the elders, and they came to him while he was teaching. Now, if we remember uh, the context of how he's gotten there, he had left Bethany. On his way there, he encounters this fig tree. The fig tree has no fruit on it at all. And uh, they, um, he ends up judging that fruit tree. Uh, there is a, a sense that, um, I, I want to be very, very clear with this, fruit in your life does not produce salvation. It does not. Uh, what produces salvation is the work of the Spirit in you and your faith in Jesus Christ. That's what saves a person. But when a person is saved, they will have evidence of, of that work in them. Just like a person who is alive has evidence of, of life. They breathe, uh, their heart is palpitating, uh, they think, on some level they think. Uh, a person who is alive has 
certain evidence. And a person who is alive spiritually also has certain evidence, things that they are uh, supposed to demonstrate. Now, uh, not everyone's works are the same. We know from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through 15, it says, Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will be evident, for the day will show it because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. There will be some individuals, as they minister, uh, they'll minister for God's glory. That, that'll be what motivates them. The way they, they cut the grass at the church, uh, or the way they play instruments, the way they lead, the way they preach, the way they, they teach Sunday school. Uh, the way they're involved in other ministries, it won't be for self-glory. It will be totally focused on God. And those individuals, those works, it does not say what type of works. It's just works that are bring glory to God. Those will be gold, silver, and precious stones. There will be another category of individuals who this individual uh, wants to serve the Lord, but uh, they really like uh, making sure people see them, that they receive the glory. So um, uh, if they're going to cut the grass, uh, they will make sure that everyone know that they cut the grass that week here at the church. If they taught Sunday school, uh, they will make sure that uh, they repeat over and over their lesson in random conversations to people so that everyone knows they taught Sunday school that week. If they lead the music, they will lead the music in such a way that that person will know that it's about them, not about God. If the person preaches... They will make their sermon in such a way that the focus will be on their personality rather than bringing glory to God. And those actions, while they seem to us like, wow, this is incredible, God will look at the heart and he will judge it. And it will be just wood, hay, and straw. They'll, be, they'll go through the fire and all there will be is ashes at the end. Uh, the person will still be saved, but through fire. They will receive a loss. They won't have that reward that the others will have. Now, Paul is using the analogy of a building. Notice that every Christian contributes to that building. Every Christian is building that building. It's just some individuals do it for their own glory and others do it for God's glory. Uh, here, the illustration is being used of a tree that produces fruit. And trees that uh, are God's trees, they will produce fruit. That's the whole parable of uh, John chapter 15, that uh, he is the vine, we are the branches, and the husband is involved to produce not just fruit, but much fruit in us. Now, uh, you might be arguing. You say, well, um, I don't know if it's really necessary to be producing fruit in your life. Because if, if I remember correctly, uh, there's always one of these people here. Uh, they'll say, if I remember correctly, there was a thief uh, on a cross beside Jesus. And they, they repented. And what works did they have? And what did, what did Jesus say to them? What did Jesus say to him? Today I'll see you in paradise. So it is possible, there's always one. It is possible to put faith in God and still go to heaven without any works. 
Well, repentance is a work. It, 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 repentance is fruit of, of faith in the person. It, it, it shows the working of the Spirit. And he did repent. So to think that there was no absolutely no works that he showed, it was. The work of repentance doesn't save him. Faith in Jesus is what saved him. But he shows fruit of that working in his life. Now, as we look at this, you remember that he was on the road from Bethany to Jerusalem, and he's working his way up. He sees the tree. He was going to stop at the tree because he was hungry. The tree had no fruit. He pronounced a judgment on it. Then he keeps on going. And the next scene that we see is that he's at the temple teaching. What happened to his hunger? I don't know. Maybe he got some breakfast tacos on the way. I don't know what happened. But it decides to jump over to focus on that he is doing the will of the Father by teaching, being involved in teaching. That's what he's doing. Uh, what happened to his hunger? We have no idea. And as he is teaching, you've got to remember that there, it's Passover, the temple is packed, the courts are packed, there's lots of people there, and he is teaching individuals. You can imagine the crowd that is there just to listen to what Jesus is saying. And up comes the priests, the, elder, the chief priests and the elders of the people, the, the religious leaders and the authorities. They come up to see what he is doing, and they want to ask him a question. And the question concerns authority. Uh, who, whose authority are you doing this? Uh, he says, by what authority are you doing this, these things? And who gave you this authority? The temple was theirs. They had jurisdiction over there. And here comes this guy who seems to have come down from Galilee. And he's there teaching as if he had authority. How are we supposed to understand these, these actions? Who gave you this authority? Uh, Jesus is going to answer them, but he's not going to answer them directly. He's going to ask them a question first, and if they'll answer that question, then he'll tell them where he got his authority from. And his question is, uh, the baptism of John, verse 25, was it from uh, what source, from heaven or from men? There's his question. Now, to understand this, we kind of have to examine uh, what is baptism. When we say baptism, uh, what is it talking about? Baptism, in its most uh, secular uh, understanding, has the idea of submersion, uh, to immerse something in something. And it carries the idea of, uh, for example, uh, you have uh, somebody who wants to dye uh, clothing or dye cloth. They would uh, have a big barrel, and they would take the cloth, and they would immerse it into the dye, and therefore it would be baptized, you could say, or another way of saying it, it's been identified with a certain color. Baptism has, in a theological sense, the idea of identification. It's identifying somebody with something. Now, what was John's baptism? What, what does that mean, that he was baptizing individuals? Uh, some have tried to argue that uh, this is the same baptism that the church does. Uh, don't, don't be one of those people. Uh, don't, don't, don't say that. Uh, his baptism was for repentance into the kingdom. He was asking people to repent, to change their way of doing things and to, to accept God's way of doing things uh, for the kingdom. The kingdom was at, at hand. Uh, the church has two baptisms, uh, specifically. The Spirit puts the believer into the body of Christ. That happens at salvation, Romans chapter 6, 1 through 11. 
And then the church baptizes individuals after they've made a profession of faith. Uh, not before, after they've made profession of faith. The individual confesses that Jesus Christ has saved them of their sins, and upon their profession, we baptize them. And what it does is a symbolism of showing that they're dead to themselves and now they're going to live for Christ. But here's John's baptism. What authority does he have to do this? Well, maybe it's man's, and a lot of the scholarship now, liberal scholarship, will point to maybe that uh, John was part of this uh, certain uh, religious group, fundamentalist group, this group of people who um, they had separated themselves out to the desert, uh, and uh, they had their own compound, and they had their own library, and, and they, they thought that Jerusalem was just a bunch of corrupt uh, religious liberals. That maybe... What, he is, uh, what John was doing was just human. Or maybe God sent him. But if God sent him, you're going to see, they're going to start thinking about this. At verse uh, 25, they said, And they began reasoning among themselves. They had learned the art not to just respond, you know, right when a question is asked, they, they start to think about it and the implications of that. Uh, if we say it's from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? Oh, that puts them into a very hard situation. They want him to say that God has given them the authority, that he is doing these things because God has given them the authority. And they would then retort back that, no, that the Levites have the authority in the temple. But he doesn't do that. He, he gives them the question about John, and now they've got to analyze this and try to figure out how they're going to answer this because they have not repented as John asked them to do, as John exhorted them to do. They didn't do that. But if they say, oh, this is the hard part. If they say that he's from man, oh, they fear the people. Because the people believed that he was a prophet. They regarded him as a prophet. So on one hand, if they say he's from God, he's going to ask, well, why didn't you believe him and, and do what he said? Because John came to announce the Messiah. But if they say he's, a peop, uh, he's from the people, all the people are going to get angry with them. They're in a predicament. They fear the crowd. So they come up with the perfect solution, verse 27. And answering Jesus, they said, we don't know. Isn't that incredible? That's, uh, that's, the, that, that's the line that uh, every husband and wife says, did you switch the laundry? Did you put it into the dryer? Uh, I don't know. Is, I, I can't remember. You know, uh, this seems so crazy. They're the religious leaders. They're the ones that are supposed to have the pulse on determining whether things are from God or whether things are not from God. They're the ones that are supposed to. He's not asking Sunday school kids, you know, toddlers. You're asking the religious leaders if they could understand if he was from God or not, and they have no ability to do that. They say, "Oh, I don't know." That, that's their answer. And Jesus says, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, as we, we see this, this divine authority, it, it does beg the question, uh, who is your authority? Uh, who is your authority? In your life, uh, what authority is over you? As we think about that and contemplate that, there should be different people, different things. Uh, for example, uh, one of individual or one person that should be an obvious is God. God is our authority. Uh, he determines who we are, where we're born, uh, when we're born, 
you look at how Genesis presents God, and he presents, Genesis presents God with total authority. He creates things. He just uses his, his speech, and things are made. Uh, he is sovereign. Now, the question is, is God really your authority? And that depends on, are you submissive to him or not? Or do you re- live in rebellion? Do you submit yourself to God, or is it about what you want and your desires? Does your life bring glory to God, or does it bring glory to yourself? Do you exalt God, or is it used to exalt yourself? Another thing that should have authority in our life is the Bible. The Bible declares um, things about God. It reveals God. I know that creation declares his glory, but it's through the Bible that we get to know God's character, and it has authority in our life. Uh, Traditionally, Baptists have been... uh, about, about the book. Uh, Baptists don't have creeds. Baptists don't have a catechism. Baptists don't have um, a councils, etc. Why? Because we live on the authority of God's word. All those things, we can read it. It's fine. They're great. But at the end of the day, it's going to be God's word that we're going to hold to. Now, it's easy to verbalize that the word of God is your authority. But it's another thing to read it and obey it. It's kind of hard to say that uh, the Bible's your authority when on Sunday you got to kind of dust it off, you know, you know, get it all, get the cobwebs out, and then come here and you're like, it's my authority. It's kind of hard to really say that. And do you obey it? Or is it just a good source of inspiration? Kind of like Oprah and Dr. Phil. Like, you know, they're all kind of equal. Uh, theologically, theologically, do you submit to the Word of God or to your own system of theology? I know that's kind of hard. That, that's kind of below the belt, right? Uh, sometimes we, <laughs> we develop these systems of theology, and if we're really, really honest with ourselves, there's certain verses that just don't fit into that. And, and if we could, we'd travel back in time and say, Paul, could, could you write that sentence a little bit differently? I mean, because it's, it's, it's going to cause some problems with me later on. Theologically, do you submit yourself to the Word of God or to your system of theology? Do you read the Bible to see yourself as if it's a yearbook? Or do you read the Bible to know God, His character, who He is? Another authority in our life should be the church. The church has authority. A pastor will lead a church, but the church has the authority. Uh, I'll give you a couple examples. Uh, Matthew chapter 18. There is a person that does not want to repent. Who casts them out? Well, according to Matthew 18, the church does. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. There's the person sleeping with his stepmom. Who casts them out? The deacons? No, not the deacons. The church. Uh, In the council of Jerusalem, Acts chapter 15. Who's gathered together? Just the apostles and and, and Paul? The church. The church is. The church has authority. And as the church, it has authority to investigate if we're producing fruit or not. You have the responsibility to ask me and say, how are you growing in your relationship with God? And I have the responsibility to ask you, how are you growing? Because the church has that responsibility. And we submit to the church to grow, to glorify God and produce fruit. Parents. Parents have authority. God has given parents authority. 
it, it, we really do a disservice. I, I know none of you guys have done this. I, I know none of you have done this. Other churches do this type of stuff. They have a kid that's kind of acting up, and, uh, and uh, the, the kid is you know, saying some stuff, and they say, you know, I pay the bills here. And until you start paying the bills, you're going to do it my way. I know none of you have said that. Uh, it, it kind of implicates that uh, being able to pay the mortgage or whatever gives you authority. No. Uh, a parent has authority because God has given them authority. You do a disservice to your kid pointing to the fact that money gives you authority. Money does not give you authority. God God gives parents authority. And if you use that, you do a disservice to the kid because then they think that if I have money, I will have authority in life. And it's wrong. God gives parents authority. God also gives governments authority. Now you're like, no, don't say government. We don't want government. He does. But in the case of government parents in the church, there's not absolute authority. God always retains authority. So that if the church, if the parents, if the government say something contrary to God, we obey God rather than man. Do you live under these authorities in a way that glorifies God? Or do you just buck at them? I'm going to do my way. I'm going to do things my way, what comes natural to me. Another thing that we see in this divine authority is a fear of man. And we have to ask the question, do we live with a fear of man or a fear of God? When they're analyzing how to question Jesus, how to answer the question, they're, they're thinking through this and they're, they don't know how to answer because their conviction is that this isn't from God. But rather than saying what their conviction is, uh, they're going to favor the side of the fear of man because they fear the crowd. The crowd has held John as a as a prophet, so they're not going to say that he didn't come from the Lord. They're just going to say, we don't know. They are acting in a fear of man rather than a fear of God. Now, I wish it didn't happen, but many times that's how we live. We live with a fear of man, of what other people are going to think about us, how they're going to perceive us. We'll buy certain clothes because we want people to, we don't want people to think bad about us. We'll drive certain cars, not because the car is good, but because we want certain people to think certain things about us. When we should be living with the fear of God, wondering, will this glorify God or not? Will this action bring glory to Him, or will it just bring glory to myself? Is this just for me, or will God be exalted through this? Now, not only do we see divine authority, we see divine grace. And as we look at divine grace, you might have a whole bunch of theology that comes to your mind, and, and uh, not saying that that theology is bad, I would just ask you to put that aside just for a moment to look at it in this context, this context that we're looking at. Because Jesus then moves into a parable, and, and in this parable, he says that there's this guy with these two sons. And this guy, uh, he's a father, he has, not only does he have two sons, but he has this vineyard. And uh, he asks the first son to go and work. Now, parables, illustrations, and so forth work best uh, when there is a, a common factor between the illustration and the people listening. Uh, a lot of times my illustrations will fail because it won't relate to the people who I'm telling the illustration to. Jesus' illustration 
is totally relatable because they can picture this situation. They've either been a son who their father has told them something to do, or they now have children and they tell them something to do and they go and do this. So the scenario is very relatable and they, they're going to be picking up on it. So it's not just the religious leaders and the elders of Israel. There's also a multitude that he's been teaching and they're all there. And here comes his father and the father says to the first, which we could maybe assume is the firstborn son. He comes to this firstborn son and he says, uh, go work in the vineyard. He has authority to do that. He has the uh, authority to go tell his son to go do this. And it would have been the son's responsibility to go obey, but the son said no. He wasn't going to go. Can you imagine the shock of the people as they're listening to this? I mean, just the shock of what that would have been like for somebody to say no to their father. I mean, just blatantly, no, I'm not going to do that. They, I mean, I bet there was a gasp. like, <gasps> Because according to the law, if a child was rebellious, they could be stoned to death. And you would think that any type of rebellion like this, just being like, no, I'm not going to do that. The father says, okay, you won't ever do that again, you know. But what we see is that he ends up, he ends up feeling remorse. He, he's regretting. Now, it's not the main verb of the sentence. Rather, he, he's, he's regretting, and his regret leads him to going. It leads him to going. Uh, he's regretting, which is he's felt like that he wished that that would have never been done. He wished that he could undo it. He can't undo it. But that's not the main part of the, the sentence. The main verb of the sentence is that he went. He went. Now, now the father goes to the second son. I don't know if uh, it doesn't say if he knows that the first is already working, but he goes to the second son and he tells him, and, and the reply of the son is, is quite amazing. He says, I will, sir. And that word sir is really the word Lord. I mean, you can imagine if there was a whole group of people around when the father's giving the order, you know, his, his, kind of his friends, his peers, and, and he gives this order, and the son says, I will, sir, I will, Lord. The vocabulary is spot on. Uh, you know, compared with the first, the first would have dishonored, humiliated the father, but this one would have brought honor. Can you imagine? You'd be like, yeah, got my kids under control type deal. Uh, that's maybe what you could think he's feeling, but what does he go and do? He, he gets lost on the way. Those picks bananas. I don't know what he's doing, but he's doing something else. Going to play his Xbox or something. He, but he doesn't go to the vineyard. So he says one thing, but he does something else. Verse 31 says, which of the two did the will of the father? Now the question is the will of the father. Not which one honored him with their response. The question is who did the will of the father? And that's important to analyze because that's what we're looking at for fruit. And they said the first. And that's the correct answer. Because he did the will of the father. And there's the reply that Jesus says, Truly I say to you that the tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. Tax collectors here is not just uh, people who are collecting the tax, but they're the ones who are collecting the tax for Rome. They're traitors to Israel. They're collecting taxes. You know, 
I've only been to maybe two job fairs while I was at college. I've never had anyone from the IRS there with a booth, you know, saying that they're hiring. So I don't know, and I've never known anyone to work. They probably have like some bunker in Colorado or something. I, I don't know where they worked. Uh, but even now, it's not like you should be a tax collector. You know, no one says that. And definitely prostitution, no one says, oh, look, you, you should do this. So we're talking about the lowest of the lowest in society, according to what their, their standard is. And Jesus is saying, they're going to get in before you. Because they have, they have obeyed the will of the Father. Now, as we look at this, I want to point two things out. One is that a remorse that leads to salvation. We know in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, that uh, there is a certain sorrow that's in the will of God, and it will lead a person to feel this remorse, this sorrow, but that remorse will lead to salvation. Notice that the person didn't just feel bad, but they felt bad and they went. Many times we feel bad, and we'll say things like, I'm the worst parent in the whole wide world, and you're waiting for the kid to say, oh, no, you're not that bad, and it kind of validates yourself. That's not what's happening here. The remorse is not just to be validated like you are something of worth. No, the, the, the remorse leads to a changed life. It, it leads to going and doing something. Not, not just to be feeling sad, oh, poor me, but they go and they do, and they start obeying the Father's will. The other thing that we see here is a scandalous grace. The kid comes back and is working in the vineyard as if nothing happened. That's incredible. He's there working for his father as if, as if the whole conversation had never happened where he rebelled against his father. That is a scandalous grace. And that's the grace our Father, God. While we are sinners, He sent His Son to die for us. And, and we put our faith in what He did on the cross, and He accepts us with Christ's righteousness, as if we hadn't done a thing bad. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you just think about all the sins in your life and how holy God is and how perfect He is, but He has a scandalous grace. He gives us what we don't deserve. God is gracious to us. And that's something that's very important to point out. The other thing is that um, men know how to fake it. Uh, and that's something that we shouldn't try to take advantage of. Is sometimes people will say the right things. And, and here in the States, Christianity has a culture. We know how to dress. We know what time to show up at the church. We know when to stand and when to sit. And we know how to use a hymnal. But this isn't a cultural thing. This is a repentance that he goes and does the will of the Father. Now there's a last point, which I have two minutes to finish. But it's only verse 32. It's a divine judgment. John came preaching righteousness, but they didn't believe the message. They didn't. They didn't care for his message. And there's something very interesting here, is that this is all before 
the Holy Spirit was sent to, uh, to convict people of sin. So the works that John did, what he said, the works that Jesus has done, and the things he said, they were supposed to be able to look at it and see for themselves, as it says, seeing this, not even feel remorse, and afterwards uh, so as to believe in him. In other words, they were supposed to be able to see what was happening, feel remorse, and believe, but they didn't. They hardened their heart. They rolled their eyes. They, they, they dreamed of something else. I don't know what they did. But they didn't feel remorse, and they did not believe. The responsibility was on them to believe. So there's going to be a divine judgment, just like the tree that should have had fruit, but it didn't. Oh, it looks so alive, but it wasn't. Christians submit to Christ's authority when they repent of their way and they believe God's word. That's, that's the question. Do you repent of your way or do you enjoy your way? Do you believe God's word or do you say, yeah, that's, that's something good and kind of throw it aside? Repenting of our way it involves casting aside what comes natural and seeking in God's word to do what glorifies him. Let's pray. Father, some of us can't repent of our way because we've never trusted Christ as our Savior. We're still trying to work out our own salvation on our own merits, on our own good works, on, on our own thoughts. I pray that we'll repent of that. Father, I pray for other of us that maybe we've been trying to make our marriage happen on our own our own way. Maybe we've been trying to raise children our own way. Maybe we've been ignoring that you have authority, that the church has authority, that your word has authority. And I pray that we'll repent of that and start believing and practicing your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you please stand?